Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Nietzsche says God the Father figure is dead. Dostoevsky shows what happens when God dies. Children go crazy, there are murders, chaos, nihilistic meaninglessness, and deep suffering. How do you cure nihilism? Dostoevsky wants to revive the dead God back to life. Why? We cannot love a human being forever because humans are fundamentally flawed. We need a non-human, neutral God to unite different generations and different cultures. No human being can unite everyone. Nietzsche, however, takes us back to our evolutionary past, back to the wild west of natural creativity. Why? Because it's in nature we can find new gods. We have become too human, too contaminated with religion, morality, and slave mentality. So we need a fresh start, going thousands of years back to find new human titans or geniuses. Nietzsche's Ubermensch is the kind of humans who have overcome their human qualities. Dostoevsky says we need to cultivate goodness among people, while Nietzsche says forget about goodness, we need to cultivate greatness to flourish human culture. But what's interesting is that both Nietzsche and Dostoevsky looked for an answer not on the outside, but inside the human subconscious mind and in human passion. Hey everyone, thank you for watching this video. Fyodor Dostoevsky is one of the greatest novelists of all time. He was the pioneer of psychological realism, a literary movement that probed into the human psyche to analyze what's going on inside our head to understand our deeper motivations behind the choices we make in life. What makes us tick, what makes us suffer, what makes us do terrible things, and finally, what makes us do good things. Friedrich Nietzsche is one of the greatest philosophers of all time. He was the first philosopher to robustly question the entire Western philosophical foundation. Too much rationality and not enough passion. 
For Nietzsche, we are not driven by reason to do great things, but it's our natural passion that motivates us to create great things. A fierce critic of religion, Nietzsche saw artistic creativity the ultimate goal of human existence. Dostoevsky and Nietzsche diagnosed how modern, reason-driven enlightenment, instead of liberating us to reach our true potentials, was creating a new kind of nihilistic man who was self-centered, egotistic, and self-indulgent. They both rejected the humanist's claim that since humans are rational, we can create a free and happy and rational utopia. Both Dostoevsky and Nietzsche understood that humans are also quite irrational, passionate creatures, always seeking meaning and purpose. Despite diagnosing the problem of modernity, they offered quite different solutions. Dostoevsky looked up to the sky for a non-human solution, i.e. God, and deep inside a human heart for universal love, while Nietzsche offered a nature-based evolutionary solution. So in this video, I'll look at their lives, careers, writings, and philosophies. Who offers a better solution to the problem of nihilism? Is it possible that they complement each other? Who is the masculine father and who is the feminine mother among the two? But first, let me answer how their background shaped their views. Fyodor Dostoevsky was born in 1821 in the suburb of Moscow into a middle-class family. Dostoevsky's father was a doctor who worked among the Russian poor, so Dostoevsky saw human pain and suffering firsthand, and almost every day, which became a central theme in all his novels. Friedrich Nietzsche was born some 22 years later after Dostoevsky in 1844 in the suburb of Leipzig. His father was the village priest, so Nietzsche also came across a lot of human pain and suffering due to his father's job. Perhaps Dostoevsky witnessed more physical pain, while Nietzsche witnessed more existential religious pain. Dostoevsky's father wanted him to learn hard sciences like medicine and engineering. But his mother and nanny read him a wide range of stories, so he came across narrative works by Pushkin, Cervantes, Goethe, and more. But Nikolai Gogol's satirical and dark comic tales had a huge impression on him, which he later emulated in his own fiction. Nietzsche, on the other hand, was surrounded by priests, something that ran in his family for generations. But his father died when he was around five, so he was raised by his grandma, aunties, and mother. So he grew up without a strong male role model in the family. In other words, he experienced the death of a male authority in a priestly guide within his own family, which later he articulated that God was death and humanity was without a chaperone. This mirrored his own life, growing up without a disciplinarian in his family. When Dostoevsky was 12, his parents borrowed money to send him to an expensive French boarding school for the filthy rich, where the little Fyodor found himself an outsider among the aristocrats who came from country states. The aristocrats in Russia were educated in French and they acted like French too, snotty-nosed snobs. This continued when Dostoevsky entered a military engineering academy in St. Petersburg where he showed little interest in engineering and again found himself alone among his snobbish classmates. He saw the social inequality and how the upper class looked down on him and the Russian poor. This led Dostoevsky to write about the poor, but most crucially he joined a radical group with the aim of changing Russia into a more egalitarian society. He joined a socialist circle called the Petrushevsky Circle. Meanwhile in Germany, Nietzsche attended a boys' school, then a private school, and later a very prestigious Christian school, 
And not surprisingly, he excelled in theology, which was a family business after all. While there, Nietzsche studied music and literature, so he began composing songs and writing poems. But he was also introduced to many languages like Greek, Latin, Hebrew and French, which resulted in him studying philology and theology in Bonn University later on. His goal was to become a priest like his father. But here's an interesting twist. He came across Ludwig Feuerbach's influential book, Essence of Christianity, in which the German anthropologist argued that God didn't create humans, but quite the opposite, humans created God. This had a profound influence on Nietzsche as he abandoned theology and solely focused on philology, the study of languages. Suddenly, Nietzsche was an atheist and God was truly dead to him. What's even more interesting is that Dostoevsky's group, the Petrushevsky Circle, was founded five years after Feuerbach's influential book was published. So Feuerbach's atheism also trickled down to Russia to influence Dostoevsky's circle of friends. In 1845, Dostoevsky published his first major novel, Poor Folk, highlighting the class disparity in Russia. It was a big hit, but with the success, he was also flagged to the government. In 1849, he was arrested for his activities against the Russian state. He was put on a mock execution and then sent to Siberian labor camp for four years, and then another six years of compulsory military service to a total of 10 years of exile. In Siberia, he came across ordinary inmates who kept their spirits high despite their torrid conditions, because of their religious belief and also their admittance of guilt. The radical intellectuals, however, never took responsibility for their actions. Instead, they blamed everything on the state or other people. The socialist intellectuals usually blamed the upper classes as parasites, state as brutal, and the peasants as stupid for not standing up for their rights. In other words, the intellectuals were blameless, nothing was their fault. This had a profound impact on Dostoevsky and he became deeply disillusioned not only with the intellectuals but also with Western ideas. He moved more and more towards orthodox religion and the Russian communitarian way of life. He understood that Western rationality promised freedom, wealth, happiness and fulfillment, but delivered some freedom, some wealth, but little happiness and even less fulfillment. Nietzsche had a far easier life, so to prove a point in 1867 his enthusiasm got the better of him as he volunteered to join the Prussian army. But he fell from his horse, broke a lot of bones and then returned to his studies. That wasn't fun. Reading Schopenhauer is a lot easier than riding horses with a huge gun on your shoulder. In 1869, against all odds, he became a university professor in Basel, Switzerland at the age of 24. And incredibly, he hadn't even completed his doctorate degree. When you get lucky, you get lucky. Or he knew the right person, but there was no doubt he was a genius. He renounced his Prussian citizenship before heading to Switzerland. Nietzsche remained a stateless person until his death. Back then, people didn't carry passports, so it was easy to slide through borders. Nietzsche traveled a lot, partly due to his ill health, as he was seeking a better climate, but partly because he needed to be on the move so he could think. Nietzsche was one of those philosophers who thought with their feet. He would articulate his thoughts and even write some of his books while walking. I think his bipedal thought process is quite crucial because his philosophy is grounded in evolution and the human body, not in some divine power. In other words, the human body was the center of Nietzsche's philosophy. 
The ability to walk straight had a massive impact on our evolution as well as our brain. So thinking with your feet is a genuinely creative process in human evolution. Nietzsche wasn't a conventional behind-the-desk or armchair philosopher. He was a free-moving thinker, perhaps the most un-German German philosopher, and that makes him even more appealing to a wider audience. Most of his books read like collection of sayings, aphorisms, poems, and short tales, not some organized philosophical treatise of complex structure. After 10 years in Siberia, Dostoevsky returned to civilization in 1859 and spent hours and hours writing fiction. He wrote fast and his stories were read like crazy, but the man had never had enough money. His poverty made him always anxious about money. After a few years in St. Petersburg, he fled to Europe, not escaping the government, but his creditors knocking on his door every day. In Germany, he spent hours in casinos trying to get some quick money, but nothing worked. He moved from country to country like a nomad, and even wrote his novel The Idiot in 1868 while in Switzerland, only a year before Professor Nietzsche took the job in Basel. It is possible the two men might have been in the same city at some point, but Nietzsche being a young man might not have noticed this old brooding Russian dude loitering outside casinos. Dostoevsky married a few times and had a few kids. From 1860 until his death in 1881, he published his great novels, including Crime and Punishment, The Idiot, Demons, and The Brothers Karamazov. He died in 1881, aged 59. Nietzsche taught in Basel for 10 years, from 1869 to 79, before his health forced him to retire, so he spent the next 10 years traveling and writing. In 1889, Nietzsche went mad, which left him incapacitated for the next 11 years until his death in 1900. He was 55 years old. He never married and had no kids. Now, before I look at their works and philosophies, let me clarify one thing. Dostoevsky was a novelist, therefore he didn't articulate his ideas overtly like Nietzsche did. Instead, Dostoevsky used his characters to articulate his ideas through storytelling devices. So his characters like a thin wall between us and Dostoevsky's philosophical views. So I'll mainly focus on his protagonist as a way to gauge Dostoevsky's own ideas. Dostoevsky's first novel, Poor Folk, published when he was 24 years old, looked at the class inequality in Russia. His first major work after his return from Siberia was Notes from Underground, published in 1864 when he was 43 years old, in which he questioned modern rationality, outlining the irrational side of human life. Two years later, he published his most famous novel, Crime and Punishment, in which he depicted a godless world in which his protagonist, Raskolnikov, influenced by Western ideas such as socialism, rationalism, utilitarianism, justifies murdering a woman for her money so he can improve his own life and become a great man who could change the world like Napoleon did. In 1869, he published The Idiot, in which he shows how a Jesus-like figure couldn't survive in modern-day Russia. In 1872, he published Demons, in which he showed how radical ideas justify violence and causes chaos in a fictional town in Russia, in a way predicting the Russian Revolution some 50 years before it happened. In 1880, he published his last novel, often considered his magnum opus, The Brothers Karamazov, in which he pits four brothers against one another, each representing a different philosophy of life, one atheist, one hedonist, one religious, and one with deep resentment. In all his novels, Dostoevsky showed the destructive side of modern rationality, especially atheism in Russia, and how radical ideas were destroying the social and religious fabric of Russian society. 
Nietzsche's first major work was *The Birth of Tragedy*, published in 1872, in which Nietzsche reinterpreted ancient Greek civilization not through the status quo of rationality, but through the Greek tragedies before Socrates. Nietzsche thought Western philosophy took the wrong step when it followed rational philosophers like Socrates. As a result, West solely championed reason at the expense of passion and emotions. This became Nietzsche's foundation for his critique of modernity and its rational engine. In 1878, he published *Human All Too Human*, a collection of aphorisms on a variety of topics, which allowed him to develop a more coherent set of ideas and be more focused in his future books. In 1882, he published *Gay Science*, in which he first articulated the death of God and his doctrine of eternal recurrence, which means everything in the universe is eternally cyclical. Very similar to Eastern philosophy of cyclical time in Buddhism and Hinduism. In 1883, he published his most popular book, *Thus Spoke Zarathustra*, a philosophical novel in which he forces the Persian prophet to reject religion and become a messenger for Ubermensch. I have dedicated a whole video on this, in which I summarize the book and discuss its three central themes: eternal recurrence, will to power, and Ubermensch in great detail. In 1886, he published *Beyond Good and Evil*, in which he questions morality as a stifling force, arguing that good and evil are not opposites, as everyone thinks, but simply the manifestations of the same universal or natural will in humans, which Schopenhauer had put forward a few decades earlier. In 1887, he published on the genealogy of morality, in which he takes a more naturalistic or Darwinian approach to understanding morality, good and evil, guilt and conscience, while concluding that all of them are anti-life and anti-nature. His last book was *Exe Homo*, published after his death, in which he looks at his own life and work as someone who exposes the problems and deficiencies of Western philosophy. It's like a self-portrait of a philosopher. Both Dostoevsky and Nietzsche lived during a time when European philosophers and thinkers like Hegel, Schopenhauer, Marx, Stuart Mill, and others were responding to the Enlightenment philosophers of the previous century, like Voltaire, Kant, Rousseau, Hume, etc., who emphasized rational humans at the expense of God and religion. But advancement in science, and especially Darwin's theory of evolution by natural selection, shook the religious foundations. So, 19th-century Europe witnessed the development and growth of atheism, which replaced God with rational humans. In the absence of God as a source of social and moral values of what is right and what's wrong, many people searched for new values in life. Both Dostoevsky and Nietzsche grappled with this fundamental question: If God didn't exist, then what was the purpose of human life? And how do we organize society if there's no God as a moral arbiter telling us what is right and what's wrong? The European Enlightenment offered rationality as an answer to the absence of God and religion. In other words, what was rational was good, and what was irrational was bad. Europeans saw how science allowed technology to flourish to solve so many fundamental human problems. Science allowed humans to understand the world, the human body, and provide concrete solutions. God, on the other hand, never offered real solutions, only promises of afterlife. So it became common sense to believe that rationality could solve all human problems, including morality. It could feed you, clothe you, cure your illnesses, and every human problem was only stones thrown away from a new invention or discovery. There was nothing better than reason to replace God. 
As Europe prospered and colonized more territories, instead of people becoming happy and blissful, they turned savages against one another. Despite the Enlightenment rationality being widespread, European nations fought terrible wars, leaving millions dead and millions hungry, ill, and in pain. And to make matters even worse, those well off at the top of social hierarchy still had existential problems. So in the absence of meaning and purpose, they indulged themselves in hedonistic, instantly gratifying activities like eating too much, shopping, or even gambling. There was something irrational about human behavior. Whether at the top of the food chain or at the bottom, people acted irrationally from time to time. They all had irrational tendencies despite years and centuries of rationality. Both Dostoevsky and Nietzsche realized that rationality didn't offer a great solution to the problem of meaning. Rationality made everyone nihilistic. Those in power tore through society and the world for their own selfish purposes. And those without power waited their turn for a good moment to revolt and take revenge. The guillotines of the French Revolution showed that the poor and the disadvantaged revolutionaries were as ruthless, bloodthirsty, and vengeful as those they had toppled. Rationality, instead of bringing peace, prosperity, and happiness, became a robust tool for the people to exploit others for their own selfish end. It was just a tool, not a purpose. Whoever had access to the products of reason, i.e. science and technology, they used it to control others or inflict pain on others. This was no better than religions, gods, demons, all the things deemed irrational or dogmatic. Dostoevsky articulated the problem of rationality first in Notes from Underground in 1864, but later in his 1866 novel Crime and Punishment, whose protagonist Raskolnikov justifies his crime of murdering two women on the ground that he belongs to the group of extraordinary people. Therefore, he is above law and morality in the absence of God. Since there is no God, some exceptional humans, which Raskolnikov think he is one, can create their own moral values. In other words, anything is permissible as long as his aim is good. He wants to alleviate his poverty and later change the world for the better. In other words, he's a Napoleon in the making, so his good end justifies the means. To show how irrational humans are, in Notes from Underground, Dostoevsky's protagonist refuses treatment for his liver illness, and instead hides himself inside a basement, yet full of resentment and hatred, highlighting that humans are more motivated by irrational phenomena than reason. Rationality is only the tip of the iceberg when it comes to how the human animal works. Our deeper motivations are quite irrational. So the exactitude of rationality, instead of liberating us, it stifles us even more, where we cannot express ourselves freely. It turns us into a machine-like agents that only believe in 2 plus 2 equals 4 and nothing else, which makes us inherently self-centered, with the narrow understanding of the world and this leaves us unhappy. Dostoevsky says humans are far more complicated than that. We seek meaning, purpose, that goes beyond our material needs. 2 plus 2 equals 4 only offers solution to our material needs and physical pain. But we need a purpose that is bigger than ourselves and a cure for our existential suffering. Dostoevsky's rational atheist Ivan Karamazov goes mad at the end. Raskolnikov ends up in Siberia to serve his punishment. In The Idiot, his atheist character fails in his suicide attempt, a pathetic loser in every sense. In Demons, his protagonist commits suicide once his dirty secrets are out. 
Nietzsche also understood that with the death of God, rationality was the dominant lens through which people not only saw but also organized the world. Everything was rationally explained either through rational science or philosophy. Then Nietzsche read Schopenhauer who was influenced by Hinduism and Buddhism. Schopenhauer saw something deeper than rationality that motivates humans, something bigger than reason. He called it will. Schopenhauer's will is a fundamental force in the universe, and more importantly in the living beings that motivate them to continue living. We have no control over this will, it's beyond ourselves, it's a universal will. It's like gravity, invisible to us, yet it keeps us grounded on earth. It basically is blind will that keeps us alive. These eastern lands give Nietzsche to look critically at the entire western civilization and philosophy, all the way to Socrates. He then realized that Western philosophy was extremely one-sided or left-brained, rational, analytical, in other words, focused too much on 2 plus 2 equals 4. As a result, European modernity ignored the other side of human existence, the emotional, the passionate, the artistic right brain. He noticed that the pre-Socrates ancient Greeks championed both reason and passion in their tragedies. Apollo, the god of reason and science, and Dionysius, the god of passion and art, balanced each other. But with Socrates' method of questioning things, and later Aristotle's scientific approach, and much later the European modernity, shifted more towards reason-based appalling world, while labeling human passion as something irrational, therefore must be contained, stifled, and even eradicated. In other words, humans were becoming all too human, too tame, too timid, and less natural and less spontaneous. So both Dostoevsky and Nietzsche diagnosed modernity as being too rational, which resulted in nihilistic self-indulgent materialism, an insatiable desire for instant gratification of the self. Now I'll look at their solutions to the problem of nihilism in reason-based modernity. Dostoevsky's solution to the problem of nihilism was to return to the past. He offers religion as an antidote to modern problem of meaninglessness. His orthodox upbringing had a profound impact on him, but also his mother's reading of the Bible to him as a child remained with him throughout his life. On the outside, he saw how poor Russians found solace in the orthodox religion despite their economic miseries and existential suffering. Orthodox Christianity is based on the idea of community being more important than the individual. In other words, Dostoevsky says you can find meaning if you truly serve other people, love other people. Love others despite their flaws. Love them despite their past mistakes. Krasovsky's religious solution did not make him very popular in Russia at the time. He became even less popular when the Bolsheviks took over in 1917. His popularity has started to grow now as more and more people find themselves disillusioned with modernity. Nietzsche, however, took a very different path. Instead of going back to the past and religion, or taking a soft feminine approach of coddling people with religious cushions, Nietzsche went far back to human evolution. He returned to nature. Yes, Nietzsche placed his solution to nihilism in nature. For him, nature is raw, honest, and full of passion. So he went back to the pre-religion world where humans were one with nature and acted naturally. Why? Because there was no robust morality to stifle them. There was no religious punishment to deter people to push their artistic boundaries. Nietzsche's biggest problem with religion was that it protected the weak. As a result, it shackled the geniuses too from being creative. In other words, religion is not about greatness or creativity or pushing boundaries. Rather, it's about providing solace to the weak-minded individuals. 
For Nietzsche, religion was coddling people, not pushing them to confront their fears. Instead, it was shielding them from danger, risk, spiders, demons, while providing a safe space. Today, people say the young are overprotected, so we have a generation of very sensitive types, the so-called snowflakes, who cannot cope with the slightest criticism or hardship. Nietzsche says religions have coddled humanity for centuries and millennia. Then, in recent centuries, rationality has done the same thing providing us with too much comfort. Our technology has made us too soft and too sensitive that it's hard to imagine ourselves surviving in the wild or striving for greatness. It is time we break from this religious spell and rationality-driven comfort-seeking mentality and dive into the untamed nature where we have the freedom to grow whichever way we see potential. In some way, you could say that Nietzsche is reacting to Dostoevsky, saying that religion is not the answer, but the problem. Nietzsche sees Dostoevsky's religious solution as being too feminine, seeking a godlike male authority figure who keeps all the dangers away from us so we can flourish in the safety. So Dostoevsky's solution is not only feminine, who needs a masculine god, it's also for children seeking a father. Nietzsche's solution is for individuals to become masculine and father themselves by confronting their fears and conquering new artistic and philosophical territories. Now here the two fundamentally differ. Dostoevsky promotes goodness. He asks you to love people no matter how bad or good they are, no matter what kind of mistakes they've made in the past. It's through love, not reason, that we can find meaning in life. It's through faith that we can find clarity in life. Being a cynic by questioning things is not the answer, but naivety, innocence and simplicity are the answers. You can only find those if you believe in a higher being. Nietzsche, however, doesn't believe in goodness. He says you should not aim to be good, moral, or nice person. Instead, we should aim for greatness. This greatness may come at a cost, but that is fine because the purpose of life and human life in particular is not to be good or soft or morally correct, but to flourish, grow, and dominate. For example, if a YouTuber, Nietzsche says you should not aim to be good to everyone or always promote morally good stuff. Instead, your aim should be to grow and become the best version of yourself and the best in your field. Okay, that's not the best example, but you get the point. Nietzsche was fascinated with art, music in particular. In his philosophical novel, Thus Spoke Zarathustra, he proposed Ubermensch, genius artists and great philosophers who could provide humanity with new values. I discuss this in relation to novelists such as Franz Kafka, Marcel Proust and Charles Bukowski, who dedicated their lives to the production of great art. For Nietzsche, artists and geniuses and philosophers, which I'm sure he included himself, should have complete freedom to create and write. No morality police or religious doctrines should stifle their natural creative geniuses. Art is not about justice or goodness, but greatness. Because nature is not just, fair or equal. Human species in life in general have survived and thrived not because they have been just or morally good. Because nature experimented in millions of different ways. Those strong enough survived and those weak died away. Since we are nature, we should also experiment, more specifically in the arena of art and culture. Nietzsche divides humans into two groups, the slave majority and the genius minority. The slaves do not have original ideas, they simply follow the crowd or herd, or even mobs. But then there are individual geniuses who are capable of original ideas. These select few have the ability to transcend human life, to become ubermensch, and then able to create values for the rest of society. 
Human histories are full of these great people, mainly men, according to Nietzsche, who have invented, created, discovered things that benefited humanity as a whole. These great geniuses could be philosophers, composers, scientists, artists, or even novelists. So based on this, one could say Dostoevsky was a Nietzschean ubermensch, whose art of fiction and storytelling helped humans flourishing in some sense. Dostoevsky realized that the human psyche surely wasn't rational all the time, and most of the time it was incredibly flimsy and weak. In his novel Demons, he depicted the consequence of a rational utopia, which was nothing but deception and madness. Dostoevsky's experience of almost getting executed allowed him to see life with clarity. He valued life greatly, so this motivated him to do something bigger than himself. He dedicated his entire life to writing to understand the human psyche. In other words, he found his own life's purpose in his work and his writing. He struggled throughout his life with poverty, legal system, family, addictions, epilepsy, and above all, years of sitting alone to write. And in that struggle, he found his purpose. He found his purpose in his works. So he personifies a Nietzschean ubermensch who suffered a great deal in the service of creating art. Dostoevsky diagnosed the problem of nihilism and produced amazing art. He says that those with big brains suffer more. In other words, he served humanity by writing. So he was a Nietzschean ubermensch artist who transcended humanity to reach the recess of human subconscious, to understand the animalistic, passionate side of human motivation. He was an artist of human irrationality. Dostoevsky offered religious faith, naivety and love. For him, we cannot love a human being forever. We might love them for a month, a decade, or even a generation, but not for eternity. For that, we need non-human God, who can unite us all despite our cultural differences. Without God, it's very difficult to motivate people to do good things, according to Dostoevsky. Without God, we become fat, self-indulgent, addicted to drugs and alcohol. In other words, we need someone in the family who tells us and reminds us to be good, to love others. Why? Because as human animals, we are erratic, irrational, selfish and forgetful. Dostoevsky says to be good, you must curb your selfish desires. Nietzsche says, harness your will to power to become an ubermensch or transcend humanity for artistic flourishing. Dostoevsky says take responsibility for your own actions, while Nietzsche says forget moral responsibility, instead use your freedom to push boundaries in pursuit of things greater than yourself. I should point out that Nietzsche didn't clearly justify violence. His main focus was artistic endeavor, not political goal. Dostoevsky says find solace by being among a loving community. Nietzsche says find a cave for some solitude to find something bigger inside you. Dostoevsky sends his protagonist to Siberia, underground, or even in a Swiss sanatorium so they can find the goodness, the love inside their own heart. While Nietzsche sends his Zarathustra to the cave to gain wisdom from nature and solitude so he can ready himself for the battle and struggle for greatness. It's obvious that Nietzsche and Dostoevsky were talking to a different set of audience. Dostoevsky wrote for the Russian people, mainly westernized intellectuals. But his real audience was the majority of people who found themselves lost in this world, fallen from the economic race, stuck in the mud, so to speak. 
His religious solution appealed to those at the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder, where being good was a real solution. Dostoevsky says, make life simpler, don't chase your lofty dreams, as Draskolnikov did in Crime and Punishment, and for God's sake, don't kill or commit violence for a better life, as in demons. Nietzsche, however, wrote for the philosophers and elite artists who are not seeking goodness but greatness through creativity. His audience is not the masses, instead people at the top or those with creative geniuses who are seeking a purpose greater than themselves. People who want to sacrifice their lives for the flourishing of humanity, not from a moral or religious point of view, but from an evolutionary and naturalistic point of view. Artists are often antisocial and deeply flawed human beings if you judge them through morality, but people love their art. For example, both Vincent van Gogh and Paul Gauguin had deep flaws and weren't very nice people, but produced great art. Another example is Picasso had some deep flaw, but still managed to make great art. For Nietzsche, artists can genuinely tap into a deeper place in human psyche, deeper well in human evolution to make art that move people. He was more fascinated with musicians, because music as an art form is not only universal, but it's also very deep. Nietzsche might consider Raskolnikov a slave-minded person who is more motivated by revenge than greatness. His subsequent guilt through delirium and eventual confessions show his slave mentality and delusional mind. Incidentally, both Dostoevsky and Nietzsche agreed that society's legal system wasn't based on justice, but retribution and revenge. Nietzsche's biggest problem with religion is that it tames you from achieving your true creative potential. Dostoevsky is content with that. As long as society is peaceful, people content and loving one another, it's better than modern obsession with an insatiable desire for more and more. Dostoevsky says blind faith and love, while Nietzsche says blind artistic creativity that keeps probing new horizons. Both Nietzsche and Dostoevsky are against shortcuts. You have to earn your spoils in life, not steal it. I cannot ignore their distinct facial hair. From an evolutionary perspective, facial hair, moustache and beard are for sexual selection, just like peacock's tail. Even women with terrible eyesight could recognize a man with a mustache or beard to mate with. Joking aside, it has also been suggested that men with more robust facial hair kept dominance among other men, so they could mate with more women. But today we live in a very safe society, so most men shave to show how nice we are. Historically speaking, actually my own observation, I could be wrong, moustache showed hard power and strength, while beard showed soft power like wisdom and generosity. Santa's beard reaches his belly, while Hitler and Stalin oiled their moustache hard. Philosophers and artists and writers groomed their long beards, while those with political and economic ambitions oiled their moustache. Both the mustachioed Nietzsche and bearded Dostoevsky are goats, pun intended. Dostoevsky's animal is not a goat, but more like a friendly dog as he promotes a motherly instinct of nurturing and caring for others, while Nietzsche is promoting a fearless fatherly instinct of fighting dragons in the wild. So his animal is a tiger or a lion, not only because of their whiskers, but also because of their ferocious will to power and carving their own path in life. Who should you read? I say read both. Dostoevsky and Nietzsche together is a better package in guiding you towards a fulfilling life. I think we need goodness and greatness. In other words, we need a lot of good people and some great people who push things forward, invent, discover things. 
artists who capture people's imagination and great storytellers who articulate the voice of their generations, just like Dostoevsky did. Nietzsche tells you to get up on your feet, stop blaming others and do something creative in whatever field you're in. Don't avoid suffering because to be great you have to suffer, life is meant to be suffering. Write a great novel, produce great art, invent something new. Have blind courage to confront your own fears and have the dedication to persist in your path and forget your own selfish desires. For Nietzsche, life's purpose is not to be mediocre but great. Dostoevsky says individualism of me before everyone else will make you very unhappy. The purpose of life is to be good to others and love everyone despite their flaws and mistakes. So to sum up, Dostoevsky warns you about the danger of new ideas and Nietzsche tells you to carve your own path away from the crowd. Nietzsche presses you to not only understand your societal norms, traditions and values but deeply embody them before you break with them to carve your own path. You cannot topple the statue of those who came before you before you're fully digesting their ideas. Nietzsche tells you directly like a masculine father would make something of your life. Dostoevsky shows you by telling you stories like a mother would so to avoid the same mistakes, dangers other people made and to cultivate your love for everyone. To flourish a child needs both parents, a German father and a Russian mother. Incidentally there is a Russian fictional character named Andrei in Ivan Goncharov's masterpiece Oblomov who is a very well-rounded character. In complete contrast to the main character Oblomov, the laziest character in literature. Why? He has a German father who instills discipline in him and a Russian mother who loves him dearly. You too, you need both the amazing psychological tales of Dostoevsky and the robust and probing philosophical aphorisms of Nietzsche. So the biggest antidote to laziness is Dostoevsky plus Nietzsche. They will help you make something of your life. In my comparison of Dostoevsky to Tolstoy, I put Tolstoy in the mother's seat while Dostoevsky in the father's seat. Between the two great Russians, Dostoevsky takes a more psychological and individualistic approach of tough love, while Tolstoy takes a more communitarian, egalitarian, universalist approach. Nietzsche on the other hand is the lone wolf or lone tiger who has little time for motherly love. He says don't cry, don't be a victim, toughen up, while Dostoevsky wanted to shield Russians from bad ideas coming from Europe. To learn more about Nietzsche's philosophy and life purpose, watch this video. To learn more about Dostoevsky, I have summarized all his major novels, so check the description box. Thank you for watching. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.